Um, so this is uh, week three in our kind of pattern. So we don't do little into bigger first. And so, um, uh, and we've finished our series on um, live, love, give, go. So uh, it's a bit of a free hit uh, is the phrase I use for me. So um, uh, we're going to speak on a passage that um, the Lord led me to in prayer. That's kind of a passive-aggressive way of saying, therefore, you must listen. <laughs> no. um, I want to speak this morning to, to you about um, how to become uh, the best you that you could be. How to become the best you that you could be. Um, now, it sounds, even as I say it, I find myself going, oh, that sounds a little bit me-focused. We've just been singing How Great Thou Art. But actually... Um, one of the truths of the Christian faith and one of the truths about following Jesus together as disciples is that in following Jesus, we believe that we become more like Jesus, that we are changed by Jesus to become more like him and therefore more the he, um, more the us that he has made us to be. And so therefore, in doing so, as Christians, we believe, we believe that we become more and more the best versions of us that we could become. So actually, there's no problem in Christian life talking about being the best you. It's how you go about it is the issue. Now, the world, uh, and um, a lot of people have written about this, there's a great book called The Triumph of the Modern Therapeutic Self, um, but the world says that the best you is found um, by doing three things. Number one, look deep inside yourself. Number two, in there, find yourself, and then accept yourself. So the world says the way to be the best you is if just, just look inside, find out who you are, and accept that, and then you will be the best you that you can be, and life will be pretty amazing. Um, we're in the middle of a massive psychological experiment in the Western world about that. Um, so far, it's too early to tell, but so far the results are coming in that it's not working, in that actually it's increasing uh, mental health problems, it's increasing identity problems, and it's increasing dysfunction in all sorts of spaces. But that's what the world says. Um, despite the science, let's go for this. The Christian faith and the Bible says if you want to be the best you, you don't look inside yourself, you look to Jesus. You don't find yourself but you lose yourself. Whoever would follow me, take up their cross. Deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So you don't look inside, you look to Jesus. Uh, you don't find yourself, you lose yourself. And actually, the true way to acceptance is to realize that you have been accepted by Jesus. Accepted by Jesus. And when we start to walk our lives out in the light of that option, we discover change and truth and beauty and health and holiness. Now, there's a, there's a key tool uh, couple of, uh, that God has given us for this task, and that is a life of prayer. So that's why in our rhythm as followers of Jesus, in the live bit, we start with live, love, give, go. We say live a life of prayer, and we say daily prayer. But also, we also say love one another as family, and that key tool is to be exercised not privately and on your own, but actually walking with other disciples together as followers of Jesus, living out our lives together. So prayer as part of the family of church is a key tool that we find uh, that we've been given to help us grow uh, as followers of Jesus and become the best us that we could be. The big theological term for what I'm talking about this morning is sanctification. So um, at the cross, when Jesus dies for our sins, and when we say yes to him, we receive justification. We are declared um, free from sin, we are declared forgiven, and we are justified before God. We are given a status for all of eternity. Now, I don't know about you, um, there was a 
change that happened in my life the minute that I knew I accepted Jesus, but that change is something that has been worked out and is working out um, in itself still the same. There are times in my life where I fall very short of what it is to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. And the process that we step into after justification is sanctification, basically becoming more and more like a saint. Um, We went as a family to Gloucester Cathedral on Thursday. A friend of mine became a canon Gloucester Cathedral, and Wendy, my wife, kept saying, Craig is going to, be canon, uh, is going to have his canonization, and we pointed out to her, that that's what you do to dead Catholics after they've hundreds of years, and they've pre- uh, performed many miracles, whereas actually he was just going to be made a canon, <laughs> not a saint. But the Bible teach says that we are all saints, and that we, our sanctification is us growing in what it is to be a saint, and to be whole and healthy and well. Um, so, I'm going to take us to the final verses of um, the letter of James, and we're going to... Uh, Read that in a second. Here it is. Um, and, and we're going to look at what James says in his letter about the role of prayer and community plays in becoming more and more like Jesus and sanctification and becoming us the best us. The words are going to come up on the screen. And because I haven't got my glasses, I'm going to have to do this to read them. So this is James chapter 5, reading from verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and somebody should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, so actually, I'm not really talking about uh, being the best us. I'm talking about how prayer and community helps us grow as followers of Jesus. Um, I've got three main points. Uh, Thank you, whoever giggled there, because you know that's really important, three points. Right, the first thing that prayer does, verse verse 13, um, a life of prayer keeps God at the center and as the source of our life. So a life of prayer is, like, is, is a reset. So is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Verse 13. Uh, James says, if you are in trouble, pray. If you are happy, sing. The word for trouble there, actually, they think um, that the people far brighter than I say, that's not, sometimes they talk about trouble and they just mean you're in trouble for the gospel. They actually just mean actually life is hard. That's a catch-all trouble word there. So that means just the stuff of life is getting you down. Pray. Um, the happiness is, is a happiness that is described actually sometimes because or in, in spite of your circumstances. But he says, if anybody's happy, sing. And actually the word there he uses is basically sing psalms. Um, and, and he doesn't mean, he doesn't quite mean literally the Psalms, but he means sing songs of praise to God about who God is. Life throws up so much that can either be the source of our well-being or, or the source of our feeling pretty bad about ourselves. Um, I'm fairly sure that if I gave you a, 
an opportunity to turn to people and say, tell me something that's happened in the last few weeks that's made you feel good about yourself or that's made you feel bad about yourself. Everybody will come up with something. And the world that we live in, the world of the modern therapeutic self, uses all of those experiences to build self and to determine what we think about self. And James says, uh-uh, if you're in trouble, pray, turn to God. If you're happy, don't forget God, sing psalms, pray, worship, press, reset, make God the centre of your life. Uh, a dear friend of uh, this parish, uh, George Muller, um, I've decided he's a dear friend. James and I have decided George Muller and St. Augustine are our friends, um, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, but anyway, let's go with George Muller. He said, the chief task I must attend to every day is to find my soul happy in the Lord. The chief task I must attend to every day is to find my soul happy in the Lord. And I don't know about you, but in my life, when I attend to that task, I find that whatever the rest of the day throws at me, I deal with in a very different way if I haven't done that at the beginning of the day. And I don't think I'm alone in that. We have a choice as followers of Jesus. Do we build our lives on the rock? Stand strong. Jesus is the rock you're standing on. Or do we build our lives on the shifting sands of how good we've just been at work or what somebody has said about us that made us um, not feel very good or, or, or about that mistake that we made or about that thing that happened 20 years ago? Do we, do we build our lives on shifting sands or do we build our lives on the rock of Jesus? And, and why this helps with sanctification is it's like a calibration. I've got something in uh, my study which is called a turbo trainer. Sounds, uh, and what you do is you put a bike on it, and it basically means that you can cycle uh, without having to go outdoors, um, which uh, tomorrow will probably be very useful, and in the depths of winter is very useful. Um, but the turbo trainer has, it's got this flywheel, um, and it, it talks to a computer. But, but every so often, and they say at least every week, what you need to do um, after about 20 minutes, um, run it for about 20 minutes, is you press a little symbol that looks like a cog, um, and you recalibrate the turbo trainer. It says pedal to 20k an hour and then freewheel until the computer tells you to stop. And what that does once a week is it just checks that the flywheel is spinning at the right speed and that everything is right. And that's what we're doing when we pray daily, is we're calibrating ourselves to what it is to be a child of God. We're reminding ourselves who we are in Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. And, and we're not doing it in as a kind of head knowledge thing, we're doing it as an experiential meeting with God in prayer thing and it sets the rest of our day up, if anybody's in trouble pray, if anybody's happy, sing songs um, you want to be the best you you want to follow Jesus well have a daily rhythm of prayer that puts him as the source of who you are and all that you do um, so that's the first thing uh, that prayer does. And we don't do that alone. It's, this is written communally. The second thing our prayer, uh, prayer does um, is it grows our trust and our faith in God. Uh, it grows our trust and our faith in God. A life of prayer, especially when it flows from that recalibration prayer, um, will, will grow your experience of and your trust in God's goodness and his power in your life. James, um, let's go, there's some challenging verses here. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. 
The Lord will raise them up. If they have sin, they will be forgiven. This, this is a bit of a major problem for um, commentators because actually in the life of prayer, we don't always see miracles happen. Um, there was a, I saw a post this week um, of um, a pastor of a church that um, uh, I love dearly. Um, um, I've, I've met this pastor twice. Um, and it's a church where there is a, a, there is a long history of God doing um, amazing, miraculous things. Um, and this pastor's father died of cancer after years of praying for his healing. And this wife, this, this week, this, wife's, this pastor's wife died of cancer after having a whole church pray for her. Uh, and they posted, he said, because he posted this picture a week after she died, and he said, because I believe in reality, I want you to see this. Uh, and it's, she's in bed, and, um, and she looks really ill, and they're holding hands, and they're praying, and their hands are high. And their hands are high. And this is the mystery of faith, friends, is that James says, if anybody's ill, call the elders. They will anoint you with oil and the prayer of a righteous person. They will be raised up. And yet, we know that that doesn't always happen. And commentators try and deal with this. So one angle they go is, well, maybe James thinks this is for what's called the apostolic age. So the age of the book of Acts and the age of, you know, when the Bible was coming together and that the Spirit worked in all situations in those times uh, and he doesn't think it's for now. But actually, when they look at the text, they go, there's no indication that's the case. So if we were doing that, we would be making a jump that actually we don't, the Bible doesn't give us permission to make. So then they go, well, then maybe there's another explanation. The other explanation could be, well, maybe when he talks about being raised up, they're talking about the last day, when Jesus will come again and he will wipe every tear from every eye, and there will be no more sorrow, and there will be no more sickness, and all will be well. And so maybe that's what he means there. And then the commentators go, but the problem is, is the text doesn't give us the permission for that either. We're making a jump that the text doesn't give us permission for. What they are saying is that James seems to be saying is, if you are ill... Don't hide it. Call the elders, call the church family, and have an expectation corporately of stepping into a prayer of faith. What that does, and this is the bit that's really uncomfortable, is it puts us, this is why I've put the word trust. It causes us to trust in God. We all have stories, I know, of where we don't quite know what God's been up to as we've prayed. And we all have stories where we've prayed for X, Y, and Z, and A, B, and C has happened. And it causes us doubt, and it causes us pain. But we also, the more I talk to people, have stories where we've seen God work, and we've seen God answer prayer. I I, I know of people where two Christians on the same ward with the exact same illness, both being prayed for fervently, and one has passed away, and one hasn't. Um, you know, we, it's just, it's the mystery of faith. And I can either kind of intellectually do something with this and then just park it and say, well, maybe God's not all that powerful, or maybe he doesn't work anymore. Or I can step into trust and say, God invites me to trust in his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his power and to do what the Bible says and to see what happens. And there's a lovely line which we picked up from the church where this pastor lost his wife a week ago, which is, there's only one thing that doesn't happen when we pray. Nothing. And so, um, I've just walked completely away from my notes. Um, 
I'm still kind of on them. Excellent. Yes, phew. Um, so, and so, friends, this is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is the hard task of following Jesus. Do I choose to believe in God's goodness and his love and his mercy and his power and to step out with faith and to pray again and again and again? And some of us will be praying for the same things and the same people for years and years and years. Or do I throw my hands up and walk away? Um, you can only make that choice. I'm going after trust um, because I find the other thing actually is just quite dispiriting. And I find the trust thing weirdly challenging and faith building. That's part of being a saint, trusting in God. So prayer resets us. Uh, prayer will grow our trust and faith and our expectation, and we will see God at work. Uh, and then prayer will also bring um, freedom. Prayer will bring freedom. So, uh, no, here we go. No, this is what I needed my glasses. Uh, therefore, confess. So, James, interesting enough, on quick aside, he links illness and. Um, uh, and sin together. That is key thing to note. Not everybody who falls ill is because they've committed a sin. We need to hear that. We live in a fallen world and bad things happen to everybody. However, there is a link between actually the consequences of our lives. So I remember once meeting somebody who uh, was so angry with her vicar, so livid, and then developed sciatica. And I'm not saying she was being punished, but I'm saying actually what was going on in her head, in her heart, in her mind. Our body, we're all linked. I know this from my own mental health journey, that actually, and what James is saying is that sometimes your illness might be linked to sin that you need forgiven. But that is not to say, you need to hear this very clearly, that all illness is, uh, is linked to sin. I have a chronic, I have psoriasis. That's not because I've sinned, it's because I live in a fallen world. Um, but therefore, but it also means we need to be Anyway, I've gone on a quick tangent. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer um, around our sins and our confessions, um, not uh, in, with one another, will bring freedom from the besetting sins of our life. Freedom from the, the besetting sins of our life. Um, this is not about... Uh, I did X wrong, and I'm just going to tell God about X. This is about what the Puritans called the mortification of sin. Oh, is that a good word? The mortification of sin. Um, it's basically putting death to sin in your life. And the Puritans, who were guys hundreds of years ago in this country, uh, recognized that the major problem with sin is not the things that we do. Not the, time, like in my, uh, not the times in my life where I kind of, kind of like, I've, done something, I've not done something quite right at home, and so I dodge telling Wendy exactly my thought process in not doing what I got wrong because, um, and that, I might go, that was the sin, but the, the Puritan sin is, the besetting sin is the fear that you have of explaining your thought process to somebody who might be cross with you. It's a fear of man sin. And so the Puritans are, saying, are, are very good at saying, actually, in sanctification, we chase after the besetting sins, the, the sins that lead, the patterns in our lives, the wrong thoughts, the wrong behaviors that cause us to act wrongly. And the way we do that is in love with one another. This is something that is really hard in, in a world where we think about the triumph of the modern therapeutic self, because actually what you're asking somebody to do is, is to look inside you uh, and to go, I see this. And the world says, no, 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 I'm supposed to look inside me and go, it's great. You're not supposed to look inside me and go, what about this problem in your life? Or what about this pattern of behavior? Or what about this attitude? 
And what tends to happen in the Western church is when we challenge one another, and this has happened a number of times in my life, uh, either to me or, or when I've done it to others, is our first reaction is to put up our fists and, and pick a fight. How dare you say that to me about me? How dare you tell me what everybody else knows about me? And what I know about myself as well. Um, and, and actually, one of the things about being a follower of Jesus in family is, is a willingness to be walking in relationships of love where you will let people say tough things to you and you will be willing to say tough things to other people and you will be willing to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It doesn't mean we have open mics in front of the whole church family, uh, but it does mean that we have people who we walk with and we trust and we share with what's going on in our lives. And the process of, of, of speaking out those kind of things. I always, the illustration I use is it's like a, one of those metal bins. Everybody seen like, you know, those metal bins that are about this height and they have a lid on them. Uh, and my brothers, they used to have them in the nursery. I grew up in lots of them all over the place. My brothers and I used to take great delight in filling them with um, uh, paper and all sorts of stuff and then just dropping matches in and then leaving the lid on. And then somebody would come. I'd hate to have worked for my dad in the summer when my brothers and I were running amok. Um, and then you'd lift the lid and it would be like a backdraft situation. The flames would come up. Um, um, but what the lids do, um, I can tell you all sorts of things we did. Anyway, uh, but, but, but if, you ever, if you ever do it, as, as it gets hot, the lid begins to rattle a bit. And, it gets, and I think a lot of us lean on our sin like that. Like we're leaning on this bin and it's getting hot and it's rattling a bit. And the last thing we want to do is we want to lift it up and so that everybody, like, you know, go, oh my word, this terrible thing about my life. And everybody looks in and goes, oh my word, you are so awful. But actually what I've found is when I do do that, People look in and go, oh, okay, can't pray for you. <laughs> and then I go in and go, oh, yeah, it's not as bad as I thought. Um, and so that's why we, 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 we walk with one another and we talk with one another because actually we discover that we're not alone in having besetting sins and that there are people who want to pray for us. And there's something about the power of confessing with one another and to one another and praying with one another that brings freedom. The Bible talks about how the Spirit doesn't just work like this, but he works like this. And so prayer frees us and restores us. It frees us from our besetting sins and we mortify, we put to death sin in our life. So, you want to become more like Jesus? Uh, you need to have a prayer life that resets you. You need to have a prayer life that grows your trust and faith. And you need to have a prayer life that frees and restores you. And then, I'm coming into land, he goes, to give you an example, if you're thinking, oh my word, I can't possibly do this, he goes, Elijah. Now, if you don't know anything about Elijah, basically the gap between you, me, and Elijah and miracles is huge. <laughs> Massive. But, but that's not what he wants to tell us. He wants to say that Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm just like Elijah. Go on. Um, it does mean you get his foibles as well, by the way. Um, he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it did not rain the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produces crops. Um, what James wants you to know is that this is for all of us. Um, the point about Elijah is it's not that Elijah was particularly you know, wonderful, that he had done a, an amazing course on how to, you know, how to pray for drought 101. No, he basically walked with the Lord, listened to the Lord, and did what the Lord told him. So when the Lord said, pray for it to stop raining, he did. And then when the Lord said, pray for it to rain, he did. He then ran away because he got scared of the king's wife, but that's another story. But, but he, he listened to the Lord, he did what the Lord told him, and stuff happened. 
And James wants all of us to know that not only, actually, because the rest of the New Testament tells us this, not only are we a man just like Elijah, we are men and women, the other side of Pentecost, my friends. The Spirit has been poured out. Greater works, greater works, the New Testament tells us. So we should look at Elijah and go, three and a half years, I'm going for four. Um, only if the Lord tells you. But that's his point, is that don't, don't feel like, oh my word, this is unachievable. Um, Elijah was just like you, because God is at work in you. This is the gospel, my friends. Not that we can do this, but that he has done it for us and is doing it in us. God is at work saving you, restoring you, making you new. Will you partner with him like Elijah did? And then finally, I know you're all happy about this, but finally, it is a call to action. We are in this together. Um, Back one. My brothers and sisters, if anyone should wander from the truth and somebody should bring back that person, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. At the end of the day, the most glorious and wonderful thing about us all is that we are going to be in eternity, forever, with Jesus. That's that's the goal of your life. Um, Eternity, forever, with Jesus and with everybody else who's ever followed him and is yet to follow him. That's amazing. Utterly amazing. And the call to action is to say, actually, watch out for one another. You're in this together. Pursue one another. Somebody not coming back to church after COVID, and you know them, pursue them. What's going on? Why? Somebody um, pursues you, open yourself up to them. Pray for, pray with one another. Eternity awaits us all, and we're chasing it with Jesus and for him. Live a life of prayer, my friends. I'm talking to me as well, by the way. Uh, That resets you, that grows your trust, and that brings freedom. And do it together. Shall we stand and let's pray?